Blog Talk Radio. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures. This is your host, Paul Booth. Thank you for joining me today. Joining us, Talking Pictures is a family. We're always happy to have the guests, the listeners. It's all a big film talk party. I like to think of this as if we're in a coffee shop talking movies, so occasionally you're going to hear me sipping on my water, or if you're able to pull up a cup of tea or coffee, feel free. We want you to be comfortable. Today's guest is going to be Luke Sabas. Uh, made a great film, Missing Child, which played the festival circuits uh, back in the spring. Um, has played in Boston, uh, Los Angeles, uh, Southern California. Um, Luke will be able to tell you more about uh, some of the screenings. Um, this was a very fun film. Um, a little bit on the dark side, but that doesn't mean a film can't be fun and dark. A film can be many things. Uh, before we bring Luke on here, who's going to be calling in any minute, um, I wanted to tell you about a couple of recommendations for those of you that still go to the library. Um, one is drama, one is comedy, so I figure it can balance out. Um, one is a little bit sad, but is a great work of art with the wonderful John Cusack. And one has John C. Riley, who can be seen in so many great things. Um, if you can ever find his first role, Casualties of War, uh, with Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox, it's great to see John C. Riley at such a young age. Um, uh, that, that The John C. Riley movie would be Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, which basically is a spoof uh, directed by Lawrence Kasdan and co-written by Judd Apatow of uh, Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash movie. Um, it's a very, very well-made spoof. Um, of course, when you have a writer like Apatow and Kasdan behind it, you're going to get good things. Uh, the following uh, recommendation I have for you um, which this movie kind of vanished and appears and vanishes and appears at library. And that's Grace is Gone, which stars John Cusack. And he has to deal with telling his daughters that their mother has been killed in Iraq. Um, and it doesn't go too political. It doesn't get too right or left wing. Um, you know, these some of these human issues. Uh, which is why I picked this movie, because Missing Child is a human issue of some things that happen in it, uh, that it does not condone the bad parts of it. But uh, we're so quick to judge that sometimes we don't look that there are things that go on in war or a situation that are human flaws or mental issues. And it's not really for us to complain. It's really for us to just try to understand who we are as humans and where we're going. And that's what I think is the most important part of films. And I do take that quote from Martin Scorsese, so I don't try to pass it off as my own. Man, I'm enjoying my cup of tea today. I'm having a wonderful afternoon as I sit here uh, talking movies with cyberspace and waiting for the guests to call in. Um, another recommendation I have for you guys um, uh, which is kind of hard to find. I haven't seen this in a long time. It's a good film, has a lot of great lessons about uh, discipline and art and respect for others, and it's called Drumline. And, um, of course, it's about a college drum corps. Um, and 
it has a lot of different, you know, subtext uh, to the some of the lessons, but it really is just about doing your best and being disciplined. Um, that's one of the uh, really great, enjoyable things about it. Um, lately with streaming, I mean, streaming is so out of control. We don't have video stores anymore. So sometimes if Netflix um, is running not so hot with some of their selections or uh, they'll put something on there for two days and say that it's been up for months, um, we still got to go to libraries. We still got to check out stuff on DVD. Um, and we got to make sure that we, that we do that and, um, and keep in contact with where cinema is. Uh, if you want to read more about Missing Child, you can actually like them on Facebook. Um, on the, there, they also have an internet movie database page. Um, really cool poster. Um, hold on, Luke's calling in right now. Let me get him on the air. Hey, Paul. Hello, Luke. Are you there? Um, yes, I am. I am. Excellent. Thank you for joining me. I was just telling people, uh, I was just on the audience. Um, I was taking a quick look at the IMDB page and uh, the I was telling them how interesting the poster was. And oh, thank you. Um, I wasn't going to mention how you were kind enough to use the quote because uh, I don't believe in discussing anything that revolves anyone but the guests. But um, the poster is really cool and catchy. So I was letting people know to keep an eye out for this. Um, Great. Uh, since I have, uh, well, of course, since you're on air now, um, I would love, before we get into discussing some of the film, or the film and some other film topics, um, I would love for you to tell us the great news of why we're here today, that you had a good festival run, but uh, what is today's big announcement that we're here to let audiences know about? Right, yeah, well, we're going to be screening Missing Child at the Limley Music Hall Theater in Beverly Hills for a week, starting um, next week, um, October 23rd to the 29th, and it's going to be a full schedule, and uh, again, Missing Child will be screening, and we'll also be screening a short film I made after uh, Missing Child called uh, Ghost Tenant which is a prelude to a film by the same name, Ghost Tenant, that I'm going to be uh, hopefully making in the near future. Excellent, excellent. So you get to have your short show as well. That's so... Um, right. I love, I love to be able to... Of course, I have the information beforehand, but I love to hear the excitement in the filmmakers' voices uh, when they get to de uh, describe these great things that are happening for them, right. be it a festival or... Um, so the, uh, for those of you, it's in Beverly Hills. Now I've never actually been to that theater. Um, okay. and I know people, I know people can Google it, but is there, is there any other form of landmark that you could just throw out to people that sure. are? It, it's, uh, near Doheny, Doheny Boulevard, uh, or whatever it is, Doheny Road, I guess. I'm not sure. Doheny, but Wilshire Boulevard, Doheny and Wilshire. And the oh, actual okay. address is. The actual address is 9036 Wilshire Boulevard. Oh, okay. And this it, makes more yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah. And I know that could now. Google it. So. Yeah, please, please get out there and see this. Um, uh, oddly, and this is the last thing that I'll say that is kind of centered around my experience with the film, because I, I did write a physical uh, 
or not a physical. I did write a written review. Um, one of the first. One yes. of the first we had. Yeah, and um, and unfortunately, it's a magazine that I can't mention anymore, and I apologize for that because I would love to be able to tell you guys to uh, check it out. But um, uh, I saw this film, and then it ended up playing in another festival that I was covering. And I don't I don't say this in a bad way, like I'm not attentive, but I was pulled into the movie again to where I kind of forgot that I had seen it because I was so intrigued by it. And then I got about a half hour into it and I went, hey, you know what? I think I reviewed this film, um, but I'm still not sure what's going to happen. And so I actually, because I had a stronger feeling that I reviewed it, I, I did kind of uh, go forward a little bit and then thought, okay, this was the film that I saw, but um, right. that was a compliment that I, I don't know if I'd ever shared with you that it had actually... Oh, you did. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that it actually pulled me in again, and then I was able to go, okay, well, now I do know what goes on, but I thought that's really cool because I've never had that happen with a film before. Right. Um, and And I know you, as filmmakers, we go through... Uh, these interviews with generic questions and how's I was kind of looking at the interview we did before. Um, one thing that I always do like filmmakers uh, to discuss um, so we can keep other films alive um, right. is uh, I, I think we had discussed 12 Angry Men, but was, yeah. was there, yeah, what, could, could you tell us how that influenced you? Because we really need to keep that film alive with the, Sure. Younger filmmakers. Yeah, it's a great film. That's actually one of the films I'd say in my life that I remember seeing it. I I think I originally saw it on TV, and I I remember when I saw it, I was probably about 12 years old, and I did you know I wasn't trying to watch anything on TV. I think my sister had the set on, and that came on, and I was just like walking through the room, and that movie just brought me in. Henry Fonda and the you know this jury room of 12, 12 jurors. Uh, black and white film, and it was just totally captivating for me. You know, I just I sat down, did not move, and it's a movie I still like to go back and, and look at. And uh, for Missing Child, I, I think what what was relevant is you know what I like about Twelve Angry Men. Of course, if you know when you see it, it it just about all of it takes place in this one room, the jury deliberating room, and uh, that room in a bathroom of uh, the right. jury's uh, members go to, and that's it. So we're very limited in terms of the number of locations. And if you watch Missing Child, that's something that Missing Child has in common. It's not – we don't have a lot of locations. We have more than that, but not – It's most of the film is set in a house. Like two-thirds of the film is set in a house. And I kind of went back watching 12 Angry Men to see how they made that interest. Sidney LeMay, how he made that interesting. Because you don't think of it when you're watching it. It never feels confining or boring. You know, it's it's always you know a fascinating movie to watch, and it's mostly because you had this you know all star characters, you know uh, you know all time best actors ever. I think of that era, you know Henry oh, Fonda, yes, yes. Jay Cobb, uh, just everybody. It was uh, amazing in that film. Yes, that 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 film is definitely one that, uh, of course, gets seen as a Henry Fonda film, and of course was his only the only film he ever produced, and it was nominated for best picture. So he is a Oscar-nominated producer as well as a Oscar-winning right. actor, but um, yeah, with Lamette, um, I, I like when I see those films because there's been a few films 
in the last few years um, has we've gotten to experience films that we cover where, uh, to me, there, 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 there's two films that can do what you did in Missing Child, and that's uh, 12 Angry Men and The Breakfast Club. Um, oh, well, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and there's, and so when I saw a Missing Child do that, um, I won't, I won't lie. There was a, there was, there was a tiny bit of me that went, um, that thought that I remember thinking to myself, okay, how far um, can this director take the one room? And right. as I started to not notice, I thought, okay, this, this is really working. And um, so was this, um, I mean, I know it wasn't obviously your first thing shooting because um, if you, if you, I mean, I guess that was Sidney Lumet's first film, but he had done tons of television. But um, was this your first feature-length film? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh wow! That right. congratulations to you. That's amazing. And thank you. My apologies you. if you had told me that before. Um, right, right. Um, we uh, also something that we had done um, that we're doing here on the show. And please feel free. We. Uh, whenever we do interviews or uh, people associate recording, uh, we keep our sound to the best that we can. But um, we like these interviews to kind of be like we're sitting in a coffee shop talking movies. So right. um, if you feel the need to drink some water or, or, or if you have a cup of tea or something, uh, don't don't worry. It's okay to just go ahead and uh, not talk for a dry mouth with 40, for 40 okay. minutes. So I invite right. guests to feel comfortable and kick up their feet. Um, so with Missing Child, um, obviously you can guide where we, uh, what we give away and don't, but, um, right. so you, so you start out with, you obviously have a, a 12 Angry Men influence. Was this kind of like you wanted to try to do something that, that, that could use one location or did you have the story that just dictated one location? How was that right. process for you? Right. I mean, I think, you know, I wanted to make a feature film. I was going through the cinema program at Los Angeles City College, um, kind of went back to school to learn a little bit more about filmmaking. And I knew I wanted to make a feature film and I didn't have, you know, access to a lot of resources or money. So I think I had that idea, you know, one of the basic principles of doing, you know, low budget filmmaking is limiting the number of locations. So that idea was in my in my mind. Um, and then I kind of came up, it sort of happened at the same time with that sort of in my mind, the idea of limiting the locations. I had come across a lot of these um, missing child listings, like in, in kind of filled in with my junk mail, you know, just like uh, they'd be part of uh, ads for other, you know, stuff stuffed in my uh, mailbox. And uh, at one point, it seemed like I was getting a lot of them and I was just reading through them. And some of the ads, you know, a lot of the, with the missing missing kids or missing adults, there'll be people who have been missing for, say, six months. And there were some also that there were people who had been missing for, say, you know, 20 years, 15, 20 years, and the case is left open because, you know, it's been unresolved. And that particular idea was kind of where, you know, the inspiration for Missing Child came came from because it's it's a story of a young woman who finds out she resembles an age-progressed photo of a missing child listing and uh, the child who went missing was uh, went missing about 15 years ago 
and she is now um, on a journey to discover, see if this person is in fact her father or not. And that that's kind of how that whole how that uh, story I get, idea came about. Uh, okay, I see. And and without obviously giving away too much of your personal artistic process, um, was there? Because um, I'm I'm always very intrigued by. Um, not really from a writer's standpoint, more so from a director's standpoint mm-hmm. um, of how many drafts of the script that you go through. Right. Um, especially since this was so tight and had such a had such a great vision to it, and then I kind of um, I, I I feel like filmmakers. Um, I think there's. Uh, Sorry, I don't mean this the way it sounds. Um, people that that don't make films seem to separate it like the writing's done when the script's done, and then it's right. the shooting and directing. But it's like to me, the editing is until you lock picture and sound, you're still writing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what what uh, which area did you, do you feel you found? Uh, maybe the the best gem or the best thing that you thought, well, I never thought of this in the writing and it appeared in the editing or... Right. I mean, it was really throughout the whole process. You know, we... Um, I, I co-wrote the script. Um, my co-writer is Michael Barbuto. is my uh, friend I know from high school. And he actually lives in New York. And I, I'm in Los Angeles. So, so we basically wrote, you know, just like communicating online and exchanging feedback and, and writing and rewriting that way. Um, but we had worked on the script. You know, we, we, the initial draft we knocked out pretty quickly, um, you know, a few months. But we did a lot of rewrites. And, you know, partly because, well, we didn't have the money, any kind of money to make the film right away. So we had nothing to do but rewrite. <laughs> so that's kind of a good thing in some cases. Um, but then, you know, when I, when we're actually working with the actors and shooting the film there, I don't think I did a lot of rewriting at that point. Um, there were a few scenes that I felt we were kind of crunched with time and we had to drop a few scenes or shorten a few things. And that was kind of, those decisions were really made on the fly and they were really, um, it's amazing when you're, you're under the pressure, you don't have a lot of money, don't have a lot of time. You know, your thinking becomes very focused and very efficient, and immediately something seems like, okay, this is not necessary. Let's just cut these two pages. And I think those were good decisions. I think it was again, it was just made in the moment of it. We we shot the film in 13 days, so um, there were a few cases where we had to cut things that way for that reason. But ultimately, I would have to say editing is finally is you know that's where most of the decisions are made as far as you know what to keep and what not to keep and how to, you know, necessar- sometimes rework some scenes, rework some moments just to really, because that's, you know, it's, it's through the whole process you're going to be going through that, that storytelling and, and working with things. But editing is, of course, you know, that's the final moment, final choice, and that's where really probably the magic happens, actually. And uh, we had a great editor, Emily Chu. Um, I know, you know, she spent a lot of time on the film, probably a lot more than she was anticipating on spending. Um, but it was really, I was really thankful for her work on it, and I think she did a great job and really, made, you know, brought some great moments. You know, made some great moments happen there. Oh, it was, it was a really, um, I, in, in, sometimes it's, it's a, uh, not tough, 
Um, but sometimes it's hard when you're, um, you know, you're covering a festival and you see three films on Monday and you see three on Saturday and then you see two screeners the following day and, and it's, uh, not hard, like hard work. It, it just becomes where you, you kind of have to really learn to separate yourself from being objective, whether it's, is this a great film or is it just that I'm tired of watching this many movies? And I, and I've been fortunate because I love movies so much to really be able to sit down and say, okay, um, this is where I'm, uh, this is where I'm at, and I'm not in the mood to watch a movie, so I need to be fair to this filmmaker and wait to watch it till later. But the right. reason why I brought this up here is because as I'm looking at your IMDb page, and I remember this, I remembered this, but um, I want people to go to the IMDb page, um, and it's Missing Child um, uh, 2015, right. and, um, and that's not part of the title, that's just listed here. And um, as we're sitting here talking with the co-writer, director, I believe you uh, co-produced, and of course you were the co-star, correct? Right, right, right. Um, how was, how, I mean, I'm always interested, because I'm seeing it happen more and more uh, lately, effectively, and it's exciting to see because we're used to saying um oh Clint Eastwood does it or Tom Hanks does it or and I'm not condescending I think we're all just filmmakers I'm not into celebrity I just respect work um but I love that I'm seeing filmmakers who are I mean that's such a cool risk just to take to to have that face so was there was there ever a moment where you had a hat that maybe maybe for like that day that hat would have been cool if someone else was wearing it right right yo yeah yeah um it's interesting with you know well acting and then acting slash directing sometimes it was a little i could think of one day where it was kind of awkward and that was you know my my uh, the, the the lead actress, her name's Kristen Rulin, who plays the character of Gia. Um, I'm basically, I'm her boyfriend in the film. And we have a scene in bed where we're kind of, it's kind of, a, you know, physically, physically with each other and um, somewhat sexual. And that was very uncomfortable <laughs> for me to, to, I didn't really direct Kristen all that much. I kind of relied on the script what the script had said and she was really great and kind of just added things and really played the scene well but I have to admit I was kind of awkward I, w I wish I could have just been the director and you know looking at two other actors and you know and, and guiding them through rather than being you know the actor with the actress and at the same time directing you know so that, that was an awkward moment I must say um, now you're having to pay attention and then you're if you even wanted to really go far with the filmmaking process you're as a producer, you're having to watch the clock, and are you taking too long to do this? That's even kind of a weird other hat that gets thrown in. I mean, I could see where right. definitely the the director actor hat is the more um, uncomfortable. And it's, I, you know, I, I I find it interesting that you say that because it it always seems like something too personal. But I always I'm always I always wonder. It's one of the reasons I love that show Inside the Actors Studio when yeah. They ask uh, when they ask 
someone, what job would you never want to do? Mm-hmm, and right. and I and I often think of it of uh, to filmmakers of like what genre and not just because you don't like the genre, would you not want to direct? And I just think of scenes like I I don't think I could ever like make a movie about a serial killer. I don't think I could ever direct a rape scene or. Um, it just amazes me how filmmakers get through that. So to hear you say that you, um, I know the scene you're talking about, to, to hear that uncomfort. Uh, thank you for sharing that part of your process so open and honestly. Um, uh, if, if we could speak about Kristen for a bit, um, sure. I'm assuming, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong because I never like to assume, is um, that there was, uh, did you, I don't mean personal relationship, did you have where you had worked with her before or more? Because there was a really great, it didn't just seem like a casting session and then you shot for 13 days and that chemistry came across. Like, uh, um, she she's just so amazing. Had you, had you guys done any other projects together? Right. No, no, we had not. Actually, I'm, that's really, I, I really appreciate you saying that because um, I always, you always wonder about that because that's something that, you know, you, you really, you have no idea as, you know, what, what comes across in those terms. That's probably one of the most difficult things to be objective for me to, you know, to say, okay, you know, do we have that chemistry? And, and, and I appreciate you saying that. And um, uh, we actually cast, I, I, I did not know Kristen before this, um, I had some casting directors uh, help out with some of the casting, and they helped casting that role, Kristen, and also the role of Kai Evans, who plays Kristen's ex-boyfriend in, earlier in the film. And um, Kristen, the way we found her, she's located in uh, uh, lives in New York, and she had mailed in or uh, submitted a an online um, uh, audition tape. And uh, we had auditions, live auditions. We had casting directors, uh, Christina, Christina Williams and Janet Ellis, and they helped us out with the casting. And we met a lot of actresses, a lot of very talented actresses. Um, but Kristen, I, I actually did not meet her. Um, I just got the submission of, uh, from, you know, just online kind of thing. And when I went through all the auditions, we had callbacks for some of you know, the people here in L.A., but when I went through everything, I just kept on going back to Kristen's audition, and I just couldn't, you know, turn away from it. And I basically, I, I hired her off of her audition submission, um, without actually ever meeting her. <laughs> so it was uh. hindsight, <laughs> in hindsight, it's kind of crazy. Um, and I and and I I kind of, to tell you the truth, I might um, if I were to do that again, I'm very happy with my choice, and I would not have made a different choice. But I think I might have would have I might have faked it. <laughs> I would have uh, you know maybe had her had her come in just to meet with her just to make her feel better about it all because I basically you know I she she made sent in the audition and I called her up after we went through everything and offered her the part and I think that might have seemed almost a little too weird for her that it was too easy in a sense. So I might have done that differently had I done it again, but not not you know just would have maybe ha- she offered to come out and and. Uh, you know, meet personally, but I kind of wanted to move it along. I wanted to lock that in because I was so certain that she was the right person for it. So I kind of just, you know, you know, offered it. She she's happy to to get it, and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, so that was a really great um, 
that that was my other uh thought too was how um and I don't want to pronounce his name wrong is it is it Charles Gorgano? Cor, uh Charles Gorgano. Gorgano, Gorgano, Gorgano. Okay, um the some of those scenes and again uh I won't go into plot or to give it any way but um some of those scenes that you guys had also um cuz I'm thinking um uh sometimes uh as a host it's when when a filmmaker tells you 13 days um it's so hard to not automatically think how the heck you know like you want to <laughs> stick to your to your regular uh journalism questions and um but you're thinking well wait a minute all that takes is one morning of lunch being laid or uh, mm-hmm. One after having a having a cold for the morning, and right. uh, there goes three pages. So, um, how uh, how big of a crew was this? Was this? Uh, um, I mean, you had your your first AD, your second AD, your yeah. We we had a, a pretty uh, decent sized crew for an indie film. Uh, we had probably uh, you know maybe a, do- a dozen to as many as 20 people on a set at a, at a time. Um, so it, it, it was, you know, it was a, a, you know, full, fully staffed, I would say for this level of film. Okay. That's so, and you had, um, was this your, I mean, obviously your first time feature, but I'm assuming you had done commercials or shorts. Was this also your first time with, um, your cinematographer? It was. It was. Francisco Francisco Bulgarelli um, was our DP, and it was, you know, I had met him through, you know, just putting this together, and, uh, you know, very happy with what I'd seen of his and, and the level where he was at with his work, and he was, re- you know, very dedicated to the shoot, and really very happy to have him. And, and so do you, um, if, I mean, I know everybody has a different process, and it's, in books and sometimes people just go off what they've seen. Um, What would you feel personally for you as a director, because there's a thousand theories. uh, If you had to, without it being personal to let's take uh, Francisco out of it. um, If you had, if a filmmaker asked you, what were the things that you feel need to be most important in, in selecting their DP uh, what would you uh, tell a filmmaker? Right. I, I think it's, you know, you want to meet with them personally and talk a little about films, talk about, you know, favorite films, things, you know, what they, you know, just to have some visual references. And I, that for me was the main thing. Just if, did I feel comfortable talking to them and do we have some kind of vocabulary just in terms of what we've seen together, you know, what, you know, each of us exclusively have seen um, and we could, that we can draw upon and just as a way of communicating that, that seemed to be just a basic thing. It's kind of a general answer, I guess, but it was, you know, really just, just, did I feel comfortable with him? You know, was I going to, you know, um, I, I liked his energy level, um, his temperament, that type of thing, his personality basically. Cause you know, it's just, you know, you're very close to this person for that, the, you know, the duration of the shoot, but also beforehand when we're preparing shots and we're going through shot lists and locations, and even afterwards, you know, when we're going, going into the color correction period, you know, I like to go back to uh, Francisco, get his opinion. So it's, 
you know, it's a person that you're going to, you're going to talk to a lot and, and kind of hopefully be involved with the, you know, throughout uh, the entire process, not just the shoot, but also, you know, when you're in editing, sometimes it's nice to get their input just to see, you know, how, get another uh, opinion and, and, uh, you know, someone like that is helpful. So it's someone that you're going to be with a lot. So you want, you gotta make sure you get along with them and, and you enjoy their company. And, and I do, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. So, it was a it was a good choice there. Well, as I'm uh, going through, um, this is a uh, very interesting, um, and uh, I'm not as surprised just from the times we have talked and uh, your vibe and your energy. Um, but I see that this guy has. 60 credits as a DP and 29 in electrical. Um, and just, uh, I'm very avidly against name dropping, but I just want to mention this film so you guys can see here how, uh, cause another goal of this show is to break down that, um, uh, someone who works on the fighter, uh, they, there's this myth in Hollywood that they won't talk to someone who doesn't know Mark Wahlberg. So um, to right. see someone who did uh, was part of additional photography for the fighter and mm-hmm. then turns around and, do, and does... Pardon? Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? Uh, no, I, I didn't say... I, no, I didn't say anything. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, thought, I, I didn't mean... I thought I cut you off. Um, and then to see this fantastic job in uh, Missing Child, and then to know um, uh, the, um, you know, 13 days, and um, to be able to bring that down, and then I see here, um, as I'm looking at your stuff, this is great that you got to, um, is there anything that you want to tell us about Ghost Tenants, since people are going to have a chance to check this out? Right. Uh, well, it's it's a little bit different in terms of the tone uh, because Missing Child, I would say, it's a drama slash psychological thriller. It's a it's a dark movie. It's a dark movie. It's certainly a journey. I consider the movie a journey into darkness. And uh, Ghost Tenant is there's certain there's certainly some darkness, but it's a lot more lighthearted. I would say it's a bit of a, more of a comedy drama, or you know, it's a, a drama with a touch of comedy. I would say. Um, so it's a little bit different that way, but um, Missing Child, I think it's the characters in Missing Child are very detached from each other. They're kind of isolated in their own worlds, trying to find some comfort in their own skin type of thing is how I look at it, where Ghost Tenant is about people trying to connect with each other. And so it's a little almost 180 degrees different from, from Missing Child. And uh, the short film is, it's, it's, you know, it's about eight minutes, a little over eight minutes long. And it's, I consider it just a prelude to the feature. It's not anything, it's sort of a backstory of one of the characters that's going to appear in the feature film. And it is a ghost story, but uh, I'd say a lighthearted ghost story. It's, a, it's, a, it's about a ghost who's probably you know, more frightened of being a ghost than anybody would be frightened of him, is how I look at it. Oh, okay, okay. That's an interesting twist. Well, that that's, I mean, um, so you have a, um, I mean, there's a, a, I don't want to say supernatural, but it seems like how there's a, 
you have a do you have a it seems like you have a really strong interest in psychology was that like a side sure. major of yours in college or um i i took some classes in college psychology classes but it was something i've always been interested in it's definitely psychology I, the psychology of human beings is it's fascinating and i'd say most of my favorite films have that element in them, really getting into the psyche of people and the, the duality of a lot of people and, you know, most of us that, if you go deep enough, I think we all have that side, you know, di- different layers, different sides that we don't necessarily show everybody. And I think films give us an opportunity to, you know, look behind that and get a little deeper and closer to, you know, p- insides of people and the minds and stuff. So it is something that interests me a lot. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the best... Uh the best part of uh, almost any film, except for, you know, when you're just talking about flat-out duds, is that, uh, you know, I always like to say that movies are kind of cool because we can say or think what society doesn't allow us to say that we think or say what we want to say or have an opinion that we want to have. And we can explore characters that, um, and I'm not talking about like crazy audacious stuff. I just mean, you know, if you, you know, maybe don't like this or that thing that goes on in society, you know, a character can be talking about it and no one can really pin it on if the writer wrote that or the, the co-writer or the director right. or if, and, um, I think that's, what's really interesting about, uh, film and being, being able to explore things and, and, you know, some filmmakers obviously go too personal um, so some don't go personal enough. Um, and congrats here on your um, that you won some awards in uh, at the Boston International Film Festival. Right. Um, and and also as I look at your IMDb page here that I that I just have to bring attention to because it's it's um, I do not there's the uh, the filmmaker that. Uh, does it, but he actually didn't act in it. Uh, Clint Eastwood with Mystic River was um, he did the score and had an uh, I, I think he had an Oscar nomination for the score, so I also see here where you did the music, so how did yeah. you how how, did, how does that uh, how do you add that key component with when you're already wearing four hats? Right. Well, I mean, it's it's happening at a different time. So, you know, it's not, I certainly wouldn't have been able to do it, you know, simultaneously. Um, but, you know, my, my background in music, I, I actually, uh, you know, I played in rock bands, I wrote songs, and I did that. That was kind of my first experience in entertainment was playing in, in bands in, in New York City. I played in a lot of clubs in the village, um, uh, Bitter End, Kenny's Castaways, if anybody is familiar with the music scene in New York. Um, I did that a while ago, and I kind of let that go and you know, got into acting and filmmaking. But it was kind of, I, the reason I kind of chose to do it was sort of for budgetary reasons. You know, we didn't have a lot of money, and it was something I wanted to take a shot at. And as I went along, I really enjoyed, enjoyed doing that. And um, it was just something I, as kind of was a nice little, um, very refreshing phase of the process for me. I, I really liked it a lot. So, it's something I, I I did. I also did the score for uh, Ghost Tenant, uh, the short film. I don't know if I will in the future, but you know, so far it's it's been good. It's been enjoyable. So, 
uh, you know, I guess the biggest consideration with that is just time. You know, if, if there's a crunch on time and that the film has to be made in a certain amount of time in terms of post-production, I might be limited and not able to do that. But if I had the time, I would definitely like to do the scores of my films as well. So Now, these, these two, again, for people that are possibly coming in late or uh, jumping around, uh, these two films will be playing... Um, if you could tell us the dates again. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's at, um, it's uh, Friday. We open at Friday, October 23rd at the Lemley Music Hall Theater in Beverly Hills. The address is 9036 Wilshire Boulevard. It's near Doheny and Wilshire Boulevard. And it's going to be playing from October 23rd to the 29th. And that will be uh, Missing Child is the feature film, and it, but it will be preceded by the short film Ghost Tenant. And again, it will be a full week, October 23rd to the 29th, full schedule. So if you can make it down there, you know, do you, come do you on. Ha- do you, uh, have you gotten the word on how many screenings a day? Is it four or it's, five? Or? It's, it's going to be four or five, or okay. like four to five, basically, each day. Okay. Can, congratulations on that, because I know sometimes... Uh, uh, when they when they do an art house or an indie run of a movie, they'll just do a 7 p.m. show or a right, 9 right. p.m. show. Yeah. So to know that you're yeah. getting those, um, I I I personally like to take these episodes, these podcasts, as a way to also learn about the filmmakers. So um, I want to say that out to the audience that sometimes uh, I like to uh, to me really these things are like a almost like a free master's class. I get to learn from filmmakers that I admire their work and I get to um, also help promote their work. And, uh, and it's, um, so I had not, uh, I had not looked up where you were from because I wanted it to come out in our conversation. So some of this now has we talked makes more sense that um, if you are a baseball fan, congratulations that the Mets are in. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I personally love baseball. If I love film a ten, I love baseball a nine. So, and I love blues, blues and rock music a nine. So, um, I'm sure we could do a three-hour podcast about that. Um, but uh, um, and anything that knocks the Dodgers out. So, I owe you a thank you for that. Um, I'm an Angels fan, so boo Dodgers. Um, but to 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 see the. Um, I guess what would be a good question here now with you spending time in LA is that um, there's a constant, uh, I've never known if it's a myth and I've never known a real way to prove if it's true where they say uh, New York is make a film to make a film and make art and LA is make a film to sell and be commerce and I know that that's way too broad of a question to actually debate right. but um to see to um to hear that you that you did all these different things the other uh, indie filmmakers that I've met over the last few years they weren't necessarily New York but they were uh east coast but uh in the south so I hmm. I haven't met many LA filmmakers that write produce direct act um, and do the score unless it's to micromanage. And I'm not generalizing, so this is a right. real... Once I saw New York, I thought, okay, this makes a little more sense to me because uh, 
there, I mean, you know, it's like you're from there. It's just, I, I went there twice, two different times for a week, and I just mm-hmm. felt like my artistic sensibilities were just going to, like, I felt like I was just drained by the end of the week. I just felt like, okay, I've, that's all my art feelings I have left. I mean, it's just <laughs> such an artistic place, and it's just so right. fun to people watch and and to right. be in the different areas. So um, is there a way that you could say that you, that, that specifically uh, maybe gave you the confidence or lent to your ability to be able to really jump right. in, uh, you know, jump into this full head? Yeah, I, I don't know how much of an influence it had as far as I'm not really conscious of that. I don't know. I mean, I grew up there. I was born in Queens, New York and, and lived there up until the time I came here. Um, but I've been here for a while and I, you know, I like it in LA. Um, I, I consider this my home. I go back and visit like, you know, twice a year to New York city, but, um, I do consider LA my home. Um, I, I, I don't know as far as, as far as like, you know, they, New York being considered more artistic versus L.A., I, I think, you know, that's kind of, I think it might be a myth. I think if you talk to people, you'd see the same type of things. You know, there are people who have more artistic, creative ambitions, and then there are people who do want to make a film to, you know, turn a buck, you know, the, the bottom line. Um, right. I think you get both in both places. Um, I think, you know, Hollywood, we associate more with that idea of, you know, the profit, the box office and all that. We talk more about it with that, but I think it's just on the surface. I think we all kind of, we have our artistic ambitions. We want to, we want to do something, you know, creatively and, you know, something maybe that hasn't been done before or whatever. Um, I, you know, it's just a question of pulling it together and doing it. And I think we all strive for that. You know, I don't think it's a, you know, a regional thing. Well, I really, I, I, I like that answer because I like, um, uh, that was something where when we really, uh, went off with this, doing this, uh, this show was that I thought, you know, I know filmmakers in Vancouver and this guy in filmmaker, this, this guy in Vancouver, he would just love my buddy in Tampa and my buddy in Tampa would just be the funnest guy to have beers with my buddy in LA and then there's this guy in New York that we could just have the biggest laughs with my friend from Mexico and I just thought you know there's all these separations and of course it's geography and just the world but um, I've always said that sometimes I just don't make more films because my crew is in 12 different states (laughs) so it's like the whole budget would be just getting someone to the same place um, right. But I like that you've uh, that you've observed that and are able to share that uh, both places have their um, their. Are, I mean, I've never gotten to uh, go live in New York. I I spent time there just to uh, just to understand some of that artistic vibes. And of right. course, I'm I'm such a film nerd. I had to go around and see where my favorite Woody Allen movies are filmed. <laughs> and sure. And, sure. And, you know, I had to go in the Waldorf Astoria, and the, I remember the the guy at the door was kind of laughing at me. He's like, you really came here to see what was filmed in this doorway? And, <laughs> and I, I was just like, I'm a film historian. I'm like, that's how geeky we are. So, right, um, right. Um, but with that, what I, what I wanted to do is we always uh, wrap up the show by, um, I mean, we've obviously uh, have, have uh, promoted this thing here, but if there's, um, anything that you would like to um, uh, 
mention about a uh, a next project or if there's anything, if there's a, a website uh, that you want to plug and also if there's any form of, um, we've had some guests who have, we've given them the time to say, hey, I support this um, charity and I sometimes send some of my royalties to this charity. So if there's anything that you'd like to plug or give a shout out to, um, you know, feel free to take the next two or three minutes to just, you know, the floor is yours. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Paul. I just, first of all, I want to say thank you to you, Paul. Um, you know, you gave us, you know, we mentioned earlier, one of one of the review that you gave us was one of our first reviews we got when we were on the film festival circuit. And it's really, you know, it was very encouraging and it was something, it's nice, you know, because at that point, we were just unveiling the film for the first time. You never know how it's going to be received. You know, I'm a little nervous about it at that point. And you, you know, you embrace the film, and I really, truly appreciate that. That's something that it's encouraging. You know, it's it's helpful to kind of as a filmmaker, especially indie, low budget filmmaker, to kind of help help you know moving forward, getting momentum, building momentum. And it's certainly why we're here. You know, doing the the screenings next week. That's that your your review did really contribute to that. So truly I appreciate that. Um as far as you know, the next project for me it's it's I'm gonna be looking mostly at Ghost Tenant. I'd like to I'd like to make that film. Again, that's the, the short film is sort of a ooh, hello? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um Ghost Tenant it's um the short film that's gonna be playing at the Lemley Theater is a prelude to the feature film. And that's kind of going to be my my main focus, trying to get that made. And I have a script, a full feature-length script for that. And we're going to – also Charles Gorgano, who plays in uh, Missing Child, a part of Henry, he is going to be in the the film Ghost Tenant. He is going to be the lead said ghost. He's going to be the main ghost. So that's my main thing. And, uh, yeah, I just – you know, if if people can check us out, um, our – website is missingchild-movie.com and you can look us up on Facebook. We have a page and we'll definitely be keeping people posted on what happens with the film in the future. We are, you know, we're doing this screening now. We may be doing some other screenings in other cities. You know, it's kind of, we're going to have to see how this one goes and see what our options are after that. But eventually, you know, we'd like to get it out. We'd like to get it out streaming, Netflix and whatever venues we can get it through. So, that's kind of our plan, so that's where we're at right now. Have, have and and thank you for that that nice compliment in the beginning. Um, have you have you, um, for the most part, uh, is this kind of the end of your festival run? Um, uh, you're kind for, of for the most part, we there are a few festivals when we have been uh, speaking to some people about, but we're not certain certain yet. Um, it's possible we can do a few other screenings in um, 2016, actually. But, you know, we'll, you know, I, I'd like to, you know, I, I do like putting the film on the big screen. It's really a, a different experience. So any opportunity I have to do that, I, I will take that. But we'll be looking at the other venues as well, like you know, possibly some TV. Uh, we'll be talking to a few people about that in the upcoming weeks. And certainly one way or another, it will be it will be available hopefully in the next year, you know, for people who can't get to the theater. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what the process is now. And and right. it's, it's such a great thing to uh, go on Netflix um, and see films that were 
you know, you saw two years ago at Newport Beach or at Dances of Films or right. um, somewhere, and they're just in the um, and they're there on Netflix, and it's it's it, it it amazes me either how quick it happens or that it actually takes now where a film says 2015 and it's like that was made in 2011. So it's really weird how the business is changing. But I right. think for the most part, like you said, it's it's good to have it on the big screen and it's good to have that. And uh, even just to be out there, I mean, um, a lot of the things that I tell filmmakers, you know, if you even finish your film, um, that's something to be grateful for. There's enough people that, that don't get to that point. And so when you get the next thing, so festivals or awards or um, those are, uh, you know, like you were saying, it's, uh, you have a nice, gracious attitude about it. And um, that's something that we want to keep up. So um, please definitely, um, you know, keep in touch with me. You have my information Absolutely. and I'll, I'll check in with you, and and now that uh, you've been on the show, uh, anyone who's been on the show, uh, we consider them uh, part of our Talking Pictures family tree, so they can come back with their next project, or they Great. can update us when they get get a release deal, um, and then they're also open to, we're going to eventually be having our show have panels, so in the future, we might uh, invite uh three or four filmmakers to come on and just, I don't know, discuss what the red camera's doing or right. discuss That'd what be the great. best picture winner was and and kind of just get people networking and hopefully meeting each other through the show and and just seeing where things go. Well, that sounds great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed talking to you, Paul, and, and uh, I know you're a fan of, of films of all periods of time, as, as I am, and it's uh it's nice getting a chance to talk, you know, in, in length about the film. So thank you again for the time. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you too. And like like we've, like uh, Luke and I both said, please, uh, if you haven't seen it, watch Twelve Angry Men. It, yes. it scares me when I hear people say, "What's that?" and I'm not being yeah. a snob. We got to keep that film alive, and and Absolutely. it and so. So, yeah, thank you so much, and, and you have a great night. And, uh, of course, once this is uh, up and ready, I'll, I'll get the link off to you. Great. Thank you, Paul. I'll, I'll keep in touch. And, uh, again, thank you for your time there. All right. Take care. You have a good night. Okay. You too, Paul. Bye. And that was Luke Sabbath, who joined us to discuss his film, Missing Child. Um, great filmmaker. We've had multiple conversations on Facebook. And I enjoyed his film. I saw it a few times. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm always going to do that because I'm always grateful that we have listeners that were in multiple countries, multiple states. And we always just got to be grateful because without you listeners, then it's just us here talking to air. And without guests, then it's also us here talking to air. So with that, I will say aloha, thank you, and I will always end it with do whatever you're going to do tonight, have a great night, but just make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha.